You're listening to the Mission Critical Podcast. Nonprofit marketing advice for the expert and novice alike, where you'll get an insider view into marketing strategy, key marketing concepts, emerging trends, and more. And now, your hosts with marketing advice so practical it dresses in layers, Billy Draper and John Pat. Hello. Thank you for listening to the Mission Critical Podcast with your hosts, Billy Draper and John Patton. Billy, how are you today, sir? I'm feeling I'm feeling live. I don't even know if that's a thing, but that music, that bumper music just made me want to bounce a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think I've heard it once or twice before, but every time it works. Works every yeah, time. It does. It just feels right. It just feels tonight it felt extremely good. So I'm gonna roll with that. <laughs> yeah, we bump it up to 11. Uh, there's a little post-production magic there. Um, absolutely. Uh, Billy, uh, I thought I heard some clinking going on in the background. Uh, do you have something handy there? What's in the glass tonight? I have a, I have a glass that is full of uh, this Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea. Um, mm. So yeah, a little 90 proof sip of whiskey here tonight. So uh, yeah, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Audio. Files, yeah. Listen to that. It's like one of those <laughs> one of those YouTube videos that gives you the chills um, suddenly. <laughs> Are you sipping on anything? Uh yeah, I got this uh, rabbit hole uh, high gold tonight, which is their uh, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. It's a new release, and uh, we've had some rabbit hole featured on previous podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good series. I, that blue label looks good too. I have to say, I, the the blue that bottle wears that blue label well. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, it's ninety five proof. Uh, you know, and despite the fact that that was like our first episode, and we had tens of listeners, uh, all of tens of listeners back then. Uh, you know, despite that, Rabbit Hill still hasn't come through and sent us additional whiskey, which is super weird because we literally advertised the whiskey to like my wife your friend and like three other people. It was, it was really compelling. I don't know why that doesn't get you promo whiskey. So we that, I mean, we have two more listeners since then too. So, I mean, come on, <laughs> we're really crushing this rabbit hole. <laughs> rabbit hole. If you're listening, it's time. <laughs> I mean, they gotta be, they gotta be at this point. It's so almost everyone is. So yeah, I mean, of course they are. I mean, it's just, I'm sure they're able to be contacting us any minute. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a contact us button on our website and I'm, you know, we'll just, I'll just check it in the morning to give them a little time to, to get that contact form in there. Look, we could even make it contact us brought to you by rabbit hole. You know, <laughs> we could do that if we wanted to. So if you're listening content, that's right. Uh, sponsorship opportunity galore. Absolutely. Uh, Jefferson aged at sea. Uh, that is a Jefferson has a wide variety of whiskey offerings. The story there is they put them on boats, right? And they uh, actually take them out to, the dangerous uh, open waters and and let them agency. Is that right? I, I think that's their whole story. Yeah. Like it's uh, why not? Why not use that extra cargo space down the bottom to age something um, other, rather than just your liver, you know? Well, uh, I think that's what Thomas Jefferson was for, was age, uh, famous for, was aging at sea. I, I don't think he did anything else, but um, I don't know. I'm not a historian, not an expert at history. Yeah, no, no. The whole westward expansion was not. He had nothing to do with that. Like it was, nope. he was at sea the whole time. <laughs> the, the Declaration of Sea Dependence was uh, really um, all right. So, Billy, here we yes. find ourselves on this lovely evening. 
And, uh, you know, there've been some really interesting trends we're starting to see for just, you know, snapshot in time, depending on when you're listening to this, some of the, uh, some of the news is starting to look a little positive. Uh, we're starting to see some vaccinations rolling out here and people are, uh, starting to think we might get beyond this crazy pandemic world. Um, and one of the things that people do when a chapter closes is they start to talk about this new normal here, here's, here's the new normal and all these things have changed. Uh, and you know, true to form from the Harvard business review, we have this 10 truths about marketing after the pandemic. Now, I, I don't know if we're after fully yet, but I think we have maybe after insight. Is that a, is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's left its mark. <laughs> we can agree sure. on that. Um, and it will for many years. But yeah, let's, let's just let's be, let's be optimist and let's say after. We are moving. We're closer to after than, than in the middle of it. Let's put it that way. Hopefully. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to fair? say it. Okay, fair. Absolutely. Okay, so tonight we were going to look at maybe the top five. Uh, of, there's 10. 10 things that have changed after the pandemic. Because what, are you going to have a list with seven like an idiot? No, it's going to be 10. Um, if it was good enough for commandments on a mountain, it's good enough for a Harvard Business Review list. That's just how it works. Um, so <laughs> and, 10. we're going to cover the first five. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes. Well, I was going to say, and, you know, this is a post-pandemic uh, 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 truth, right? You can only do things in tens. So that's not on the list because that would make it 11. But but you see, anyway, I, I we won't, let's just get to the list. I'll shut up. <laughs> the, the list goes up to 11 when you add that one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you can get a David Guest reference in, period, it's always the right choice. Twice in one, twice in one episode too, by the way, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, begin this best in show. Um, so old truth, number one, marketing begins with knowing your customer. New truth, marketing begins with knowing your customer segment. And so this is the idea here that it's an, we need to understand and hyper, hyper localize and, and hyper personalize the experiences. Whereas before, it was this idea that it was good enough to kind of collect all the data about your customer versus actually make sure that the content they're receiving and the experiences they're receiving are hyper-localized. When you think about hyper-localization and you think about like deep relevancy, and we've, we've talked a little bit about this before, what are some of the brands that come to mind that are just really good at knowing you? Oh, there's a couple out there and we're just talking about brands, right? We're not talking about like nonprofits. We're talking about brands. Well, I'm a, I'm a fly fisherman, right? And so there is a, a lot of a brand affinity with fly fishermen. Um, one in particular, Sage, they know exactly what type of rod I like, what type of backing I like. They know what types of flies I like because of where I live. Like they're really good at understanding not just me, but what's around me and saying, guess what? You need more of these things. And guess what? <laughs> I own four different reels. I can't fish. I don't have four hands. I can only use one at a time, but I own four of them because they know me so well and they get me to buy things all of all the time. <laughs> they have a captive audience that got you on the hook. Um, dumb. What about Sorry. you? That's stupid. Um, uh, well, for me, you know, I had one today that actually blew my mind. Uh, my 
wife is into history podcasts. That's her kick right now. We have we have very different interests. She's like interested in actually like really important, smart, lofty things, and I'm like they're hitting each other and throwing a ball. Like yeah, so um, so she's like high minded. She's in these deep history podcasts and just like learning a ton about like in this case the Black Plague. Right, listening to this whole podcast on the Black Plague. I go on Amazon today. And yeah, where I do some shopping from time to time, a little, a little shopping here and there. And the hero shot is watch our new documentary about the black plague. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, I don't know if Alexa judo threw her headphones and grabbed the info or whatever, but like, I have never given them any information that would lead them to believe I'm interested in a black plague documentary, but they they knew. And I looked because I'm like, well, how did they do that? They have a bunch of stuff that was released today, right? It, it, that was the one they chose for me uniquely. And I was like, wow, they they really know me. They really understand in a creepy, uncomfortable way, way too much about me. They know it's around you. That's what that's the thing, right? If you if you've ever studied that algorithm, I mean there's a couple different versions of that algorithm, but what my, my wife is convinced, right? Same thing. She's like, they're listening to us. I'm like, um, all right, so you could argue maybe they are, but I like to think that there's an algorithm that's actually looking around me. And so it will look at things like, you know, someone in your household is browsing history, right? And so very much, mm-hmm. you guys are sharing the same IP address, those types of things. And so it's got yep. going, wait a second, if we can get husband to talk about this thing, then husband can influence wife and wife can go do this. And then before you know it, and I, I mean, we I see this happen with my neighbor on the other end of the neighborhood where... Um, you know, I'll, we'll talk, he, he, he's a mountain biker and, um, we'll talk about a product and he'll, he'll do all the browsing on his computer. And then days later, my Instagram feed, I'll see that mountain bike product pop up. And like, I have never searched for that. I just heard about it in my neighbor's house down the street. And you, it's just like, that's being extremely localized, right? That's like influence beyond in, it's like shells of influence. It just builds. It's, it's so cool and really creepy. <laughs> I- it makes me want to go to my friend's house near their Alexa and just talk about like all sorts of like hemorrhoid creams. Just like, just see how many hemorrhoid cream advertisements I can get in their, in their inbox. I like it. I think that should be a challenge. I, I think we should just do that as an experiment and see who can get more like the neighbors going, uh, this is weird. Um, it just, just, I got I got ten I got ten Henroid uh, uh, recommendations served through Amazon in my neighborhood this this week. So <laughs> uh, it's not just H, it's H through Z preparation. That's um, <laughs> yeah, you get, get them all there. The uh, I, it'd be really funny. Actually, you know, I've never thought about that, but this is like actually a pretty formidable prank. You just go over to your friend's house, turn on their Alexa, and just start just start like asking Alexa for absurd things like. What was that famous internet one that was like, it was 50 gallons of uh, massage oil or something yes. like that. It was like a 50 gallon drum of massage oil. And you're like, I need to get an ad for my friend to have a 50 gallon drum of massage oil. I don't know how, but I need to make that in their inbox ASAP. And just ruin, just completely ruin their Instagram feed where they actually, they have to reset. They have to like change and like everything they do, they just have to just completely eject, right? Like I can't even do the thing that I like to do anymore. 
uh, because it's just terribly invasive and uncomfortable, and I'm not even into these things. Uh, so yeah, that would that's that's a good way to do that. It's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it really does. Like the jam of the month. Uh, the um, yeah, I I just. I think Reiki massage would be Reiki massage classes would be, I think amazing. If you could just like fill someone's Instagram feed with Reiki massage classes and they're like, gosh, darn it. I don't want this. I don't want any part of this. <laughs> they're not challenge even touching ex- my back. Challenge accepted. Challenge. Okay. Accepted. <laughs> All right. If we can get, that's our, that's our new, our new challenge. If one of us can get whoever can get the most uncomfortable and awkward ad to post in our friend's Instagram feed from visiting their house, we have to be able to visit their house. But uh, <clears throat> once that's a thing, then yes, yes that'll true. be the challenge. All right. Uh, we'll, I think we're we'll talking about that. marketing. Were we? Is, I don't are remember. we? Oh, let's talk about marketing. Customer segment, I think, is where we we're at. That might New have truth. been it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big, big segment of the population that needs Reiki massage class. No. Um, the um, Okay. Uh, the <laughs> We're talking about hyper-localization. You know, the thing that's interesting when you think about nonprofits who are working on kind of that hyper-personalization and hyper-localization so much of the conversation is around the data collection and so much of the conversation is around grabbing the 38 data sources and figuring out how to make truth out of all those data sources. Billy, here's a provocative statement. What if you grabbed the three most important sources and started doing, spending that time on your personalization strategy from those three sources versus the 38? How does that sound? I, 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 I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I, I also think, um, in addition to that, how about just segmenting off of like the, the the types? Like a lot of times we segment. I, I think we go through this this exercise where we're like, let's get all the data. Like to your point, right? Let's get all the data and let's create all these very all these unique segments. That's great, right? If you have a thousand pieces of content that, that you can offer up and really get really, really specific, but I don't think you need to make that 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 intricate of a. You don't need to design something that intricate. All you really need to do is find who your best are and find your next best, and then you need to figure out an engagement model to get them to become your next best, right? Or your best. That and you don't need that much data. You just need a you need a little bit of demographic data, yes, possibly, and you need some behavioral data, and you just need to find the most meaningful pieces and go from there. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I agree. I think we we try so hard. We like we have sixty two different segments, so we need sixty two pieces of content. Probably not. I'm probably not. I'm not sure that you're going to get much of an uplift between twenty two and sixty two. Maybe. Maybe, but probably not. And do you have the time to do all the testing, all the throughput to get to the certainty there? Probably not. Not most nonprofits I work with anyway. Yeah, it's like wine, right? After after $40, you know, from 40 to $80, not much different. Now, if you get above $80, it gets a little better, right? <laughs> kind of same or theory. If it, or if it's aged at sea, then it's, uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> By Jefferson himself. Like his wine that was found in the bottom of the sea. I think that wasn't that Jefferson. I'm pretty sure that was, they found some of his like wine from the 1700s. You should ask your wife. You should ask your wife and then Amazon will then tell you. She would know. She would know. (laughs) Gosh. She'd be like, I can't tell you what sports ball did, but I can sure as heck tell you what happened with Thomas Jefferson and his sea aging. (laughs) And his sea aging. (laughs) All right. Uh, that one, that one sounded good. Uh, old truth number two: you are com- 
competing with your competitors. New truth, you are competing with the last best experience your customer had. I like this one a lot. Yeah. I like this one an awful lot because I think when it comes to share of wallet in the retail space, that's, this feels a little less true to me. But when it comes in the nonprofit space, this feels super true. Um, and I, I'll give you a, a perfect example. Uh, I got invited to a virtual gala and uh, it was like not, it was super generic. It was, you know, a significant investment of time it was like an hour and a half um, where they want me to come and just be talked to. There was nothing interactive about it. Right. And then I went to a different gala not so long ago and there were like conversations happening and even like breakout groups where you could ask questions. And it was really kind of compelling and, and engaging. And so when I'm comparing them, even though they're totally different causes, totally different uh, orgs, I was kind of like, eh, I guess I want to go to the one that is a little more compelling than the one that isn't. And so they were, the other org wasn't as compelling, was literally losing my attention and potentially my dollars because they weren't as good as the last one. You seeing this too, Billy? All the time. Um, It's funny because I've actually stopped supporting organizations. So so this this take, for example, um, like um, child sponsorship, I think is a really interesting one because all of them are kind of, look, they're all offering the, the similar thing, but the experience is what makes you stay and advocate and share. And I've seen, I've, I've done a couple of different ones now and I'll tell you, um, <laughs> it experiences everything in that space. Um, experience is everything. If you can make me feel like I'm connected to the, 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 the kids that were, that were, um, sponsoring and you can make that experience meaningful and memorable, like make it memorable. I, I'm, I'm going to give you my dollars, right? I'm going to go I, and you will become the thing that we do rather than me trying to do a bunch of different ones. So I think absolutely you're constantly, and it's not even necessarily like even a peer comp competitor. It's, it's something else I did earlier today that was an amazing experience. And I kind of hope that, that you can even do that, right? So it goes beyond just like your immediate peer group uh, or peer network or whatever you want to uh, peer network or whatever you want to call it. So it's, it's, um, man, it's, it's tough. Cause you got to compete with all that experience. It's all around you everywhere. And you and I've talked a bit about the, the proximity to impact before. And I think this is one of those ones in the nonprofit space. I would tweak this slightly to say, you know, charitable giving, I think is a little bit segmented from the rest of the wallet at times. Not, not always, but like, you know, and then, you know, we talked about this in our 2020 review that, you know, people were thinking that ordering from a restaurant was a form of charitable giving. So those lines are are clearly blurring, but in terms of like, you know, bespoke giving for charitable organizations, right. Um, You know, maybe you're going to sponsor a kid Uh, that world there. If you feel like your impact is being felt by that kid in that community, you're never going to stop. You are in, you are in forever because the nonprofit is just a conduit for you to impact that community. Mm -hmm. They are not the change agent. You are the change agent, right? 
And so when you feel that way, you really feel like, I mean, the hero of the story is not the right phrase, but that's kind of what it is. You do feel like I'm really impacting and your proximity to that impact is very, like, it's a very short distance between what you're doing and the impact you're creating. And it's not being obfuscated by the nonprofit versus other ones that I've worked with child sponsorship orgs in the past that, I mean, the only thing they do well is ask for money, but I can't, I couldn't tell you what my money accomplished. You know, it's like, oh, it helped that community. Well, how did it help them? It just super helped them. You're like, oh, like the food with water, like what, what it do? It helped him. Like, okay, that's not helpful. Like, you gotta, you gotta connect me more to this story. That's it. And I, I think that's it. You like, that's the if child sponsorship org A is like really connecting you to what you're doing, and child sponsorship org B is not, you're gonna go with A every time. Yeah, you've either. I think there's a couple different ways to think about it, right? You either have to build a true connection where. When I take an action or I donate a dollar or I volunteer time or whatever it may be, I actually feel connected to the cause, um, not connected to like, oh, um, it's, I, I, I have to feel like there's, some, there's a relationship that I'm building, right? And, and so outside of that, you've got to, if you don't have that, then you have to have a really good engagement model, like a really good engagement model that makes you say, all right. Um, and we talked about this. Um, we talked about this previously. Like, you put me on the racetrack, and I'm going to continue to run laps with you. Like, we're going to do this, and we're going to pass you. And I'm going to enjoy this experience with you. So it has to be one of the two. It can't just be because, um, you know, because we exist and you care. Like, the, the, the days of that being – because the proliferation just – just think about the proliferation, the choices um, that that are out there now. And um, it's not, once again, it's, it's not even just choices of peers, but it's like attention, right? We only have so much of it. We only have so much money to give. And so you got to make it good. You got to make it memorable. You got to make it, you got to make it feel, you got to feel connected. Otherwise you're going to walk away. So yeah, I think that that new truth is, is pretty solid. What, and this may take some thought. So uh, not to put you on the spot here. But uh, to put you on the spot, uh, what is, you know, you have to say the company name, but what is the last organization that you like wiped your hands, said, I'm out, I'm out. And why, why did they do that? Why did you do that? What did they do that made you want to do that? Uh, I can, I'll, well, it's a community organization here. Um, what made me do that is they did not know who I was. They talked to me like I was just someone else, which, you know, I am, I'm nobody. Let's just be honest, you know, but like I, I, but, but given my, um, given like the work and the time and the effort and the advocacy, right. Even just the sheer advocacy that I'd put in to say, look, support, 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 do this, do this. And then get these, you know, these broad sweeping, like correspondence, like, wait a second. I thought we had something here. I thought you actually cared about me because, look, I'm a human, and there's a little bit of self-centeredness that's kind of ingrained in us. And I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm altruistic to a, a certain degree, but at the end of the day, I kind of want to feel like you know who I am, and you, and you, and you care. Um, so you know, and and since then, I've taken my effort and energy elsewhere, and I put it in other places where, you know, I get rewarded. I, I feel valued. I feel needed. I feel wanted. Actually, I think it's more like I actually feel wanted, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, that is. I mean, that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole 
can of worms right there. <laughs> feeling wanted. Uh, and, and how to leverage like, uh, like Maslowian needs, uh, in your, in your marketing strategies. But, um, but no, I think that's actually really, it's astute. And, you know, I think the thing about saying thank you and feeling known is that it's not why you do it, but it helps you want to do it again. For sure. Have you had that experience? I mean, can you, is it something like you could recall? Yeah, I, uh, I had a credit card with a airline and, uh, that bank, I shut down that credit card when the airline and I went through a nasty divorce. Uh, and, uh, I kept the kids, uh, but the airline like had done it, had done me dirty already. You know what I mean? I was just picking up the pieces of my airline life. Um, and, uh, so I, I switched over and I kept the old credit card as kind of like a backup. And finally I locked it and I was like, Hey, I don't want any purchases on this thing. Let's just, this is like a backup. I just didn't want to shut it down in case, you know, this new airline and I, the dating didn't go so great. Right. Uh, and then, you know, you go back to, go back to your old ways. You remember the, you only remember the good times, only remember the good times. And, uh, so I, uh, they somehow let a charge through and I wasn't monitoring it, you know, shame on me, but it was locked. So they shouldn't have let a charge through. They let a charge through and then I didn't notice. And they charged me a late fee. And I've never had a late fee in my entire life on my credit card because I am a super finance nerd. Um, and uh, I called them like, hey, this happened and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, just pay the fee. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I've had this credit card for like 10 years. I've never had one late payment. And they're like, yeah, just pay the fee. And I was like, well, if you pay the fee. I'm just closing everything down with your bank. And they're like, Okay. I was like, oh, and I'm out. Okay. Screw you, Chase. I'm out. Uh, and uh, so that was with Chase. And uh, I'll never use any of their products ever again. It was the dumbest thing. They just wouldn't, like, they shouldn't, it's all this stuff. So anyhow, I just like, I'm out. I'm totally out. And you know what? Like, I haven't walked into a physical bank branch in a year. And I don't need to. I don't need to. There's no reason for me to do it. And so they... Whereas before I would have been like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this, you uh-huh. know, all these other options. Now they actually pushed me into a totally different banking experience altogether. So, you know, like traditional brick and mortar banks mean nothing to me whatsoever. So they actually opened my eyes to a whole new world. Um, and it was, it was just because they, they were super unreasonable about something that is, is insane. Yeah. For, for, for what, you know, like what the $15 charge that they, that they like desperately need. No, like your lifetime value, <laughs> right. As far is worth way more than that. Like the value that you would build in a month more than the, the charge. So it's, it's just crazy to me that, um, and I, I think that's one of the interesting things because what that ends up becoming, and this, we're kind of getting out a little bit outside of the the topic here, but when you think about like, what is marketing now? Like, maybe this is an old truth. Customer service is not marketing. New truth, customer service is marketing. That shouldn't be like groundbreaking for anybody because I think this has been happening for a while now, but maybe it's a good reminder that your service also influences how customers feel, which is part of the experience that we're kind of talking about here. Because look, if if, if that's not there and that service is not there, that that's part of the experience. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to walk away and you're going to share it on a podcast and 12 people are going to hear it. And those 12 people are no longer going to bank with Chase. At least up to 14 <laughs> or 16 now. Um, for sure. Like the, the 
myself listening to it six times and you a couple times and like three other people are going to exactly. love it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think that's, uh, that's well, really well put, you know, and actually it kind of it dovetails nicely into number three, which is customers hope you have what they want. Right. So that they go out there and they're like, I call this the home Depot experience. I swear to you, I can go to home Depot for one thing and they will be out. They'll have a whole store of things. <laughs> Except for the one thing I want. And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't have that. No, like just this thing you don't have. You have everything, like everything else is in stock, but this one thing's out. Yeah. Awesome. Super great. Um, but, you know, you can't really get mad because it's a big warehouse and you need something really specific. You're like, I can see how it would happen if it didn't get ordered. So, but that's the old way. And the new way is customers expect you to have exactly what they want, right? Because when I search Amazon for that one thing, pops up, it's there. And uh, if you're going to compete in this digital world, you have to have exactly what people want. And it's not just product, right? This is, uh, you know, financial statements. If you're a nonprofit, this is your impact statement. This is your ratios of expenses to, you know, mission spend and like all of these things, whether or not they're good metrics, that's not the point. You still have to have them and be able to serve them which means that you need to keep track of how people find these things and how people search for these things to get them um, so that you can start to do, Oh, is it something, um, it's something called predictions, Billy, I think is, is the word that's coming here. Something to predict what they're looking for. Uh, what are some of the ways that you've seen brands predict what you're looking for? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, they listen. I think that's the thing. They listen and they, they understand. Um, first of all, they have a, have an idea, right? It starts with an idea of who I might be, what I might like, what I find interest in. So having a starting point is key, right? And we talk about this in, in the work that we do. You kind of form a hypothesis. Um, so keep that in mind. You've got your known customers, your known supporters. Um, form a hypothesis on the ones that you don't know yet. And the way you do that is kind of look at data and you start to say, hey, these things kind of look alike. And now you can do that manually. Should you choose, or maybe you have some technology you invest in that will help you kind of get those connections there. And then from there, like once again, it's you, you can build an engagement model off of that, right? You can figure out how to get me to uh, donate one more dollar. You can figure out how to uh, donate three more. You can get me to, um, sorry, donate two or three more times a year. You can get me to volunteer. You can get me to advocate, right? So I think the the the, the idea of predictions comes out of a couple things: what you know already what you think you know about someone else and then what you can surround them with to then kind of test out your theory, right? Predictions start to become more and more clear as you get to that understanding, right? I think that's as, as, as simple as I can put it. Are, are any organizations, John, that, that you work with or you donate to doing a good job of predictions, like getting ahead of your wants and, uh, and kind of desires? Not in the nonprofit space, actually. I mean, I, I don't, I tend to, focus more on local and smaller nonprofits, um, just personally with my giving versus bigger ones. Yeah. So th they're definitely not. Um, but you know, even some of the bigger ones I've worked with don't do this particularly well. I was going to say, yes, exactly. Um, I have not had that experience either. Right. I, I, I haven't seen any nonprofit do a, a good job of this. And I think it's there for the taking, right. You talk about experience, you talk about being better than your peers or your competitors. This is an area where I think uh, a lot of nonprofits, big and small, can improve. Okay. Number four 
on our David Letterman top 10 list of which we're doing five. Uh, old truth. Customers. Uh, courting customers is just like dating. And new truth. Courting customers is just like online dating. Now, Billy, we've both been out of the game for a bit here. So I don't feel like, I don't feel like a strong expert on this category. Uh, I had my glitch in the matrix once and I don't think it would happen again. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> I think what they mean, and I'm just guessing here, cause again, not good at dating this guy. Uh, but, uh, for a long time, you know, when you would go out there, you would just like put brand marketing out there and you would try all these different ways to get people's attention and try to, you know, get in top of mind. And that was like dating. It was like going bar to bar, right? Just trying to meet somebody special um, versus online dating where, you know, it's, uh, again, not done it. Uh, but the idea would be, I think, to have a conversation uh, inside of your app of choice, depending on your sincerity with your dating intentions, whether that be totally insincere, a la Tinder, or uh, potentially far more sincere, more like a bumble. Uh, so um, with that being the case, there is all of this information and conversation happening before you're actually physically coming together for a date, uh, which is really interesting to me. And I think it actually is a really good analogy for the new world we're in, right? A lot of the time we, and gosh, we've talked at length about capturing behavioral data, but a lot of time, what you're doing here is you're starting to build that relationship with the person before they ever take a, you know, take you out on the first date. Is that a fair statement? It is a fair statement. You you might not know this. My wife and I met on Match.com. I did not know that. True look story. True story. Um, and look, I, I we we online dated for about six months and then we found each other. So you know, it's it's Match.com. If you're listening, also a sponsorship opportunity here. So, <laughs> um, but but I think it's really interesting because one of the uh, things about online dating, you can do the research right before you ever spend time wasting your time <laughs> with someone right uh like driving the miles and spending the money and sitting down and being like wow that's an hour of my life i'll never get back and look i had about 3 of those experiences <laughs> before i met my wife and we were we were both like seriously you know cautious um by by that time but uh i think that is a really really great analogy so kudos to you um harvard business review on this one uh, what is this number 4 it's it's solid. Uh, yeah, that that was number four, and I I agree. I think the other thing that's interesting is you know in these uh, in these dating applications, there's a lot of logic about who they recommend for you, right? Yes. And so you remember like the famous eHarmony, like you know we're matching you in all these degrees of compatibility and blah 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 blah. Um, but actually, it made it kind of made sense, you know, like here's your predictors for success, and so we're going to leverage these predictors for success. That is another thing where, you know, I would love to, to be able to point to the nonprofit who can tell me what the predictors are for success with a constituent. I mean, I would, I, that sounds like a daunting program for a data scientist, but I can't think of the nonprofit or the project that they can give you that information. And I think there's an opportunity here potentially to be uh, the first who's saying like, here are the, here are all the things that really, really matter in order for someone to become one of our most important constituents. And here's how we nurture our current constituents to become those. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's ripe for the picking. It is totally ripe for the picking. Uh, um, and the, the data is out there. 
The data's out there from first party to second party, third party, fourth party, you name the party, all the parties, all the parties and all their data. It's all out there, right? So much, so much parties, so I, many parties. I have to, I have to uh, expand on the, on the match and my wife story real quick. So if you, if, if you see the video, you can see I'm starting to grow this mustache. Now it, it's funny because I never thought I would be like a mustache guy until I grew a mustache. And I was like, I have a gift and like, I don't have many gifts, but I'll, I'll, I'll brag about this. I have a good mustache, right? It's, it's like a formidable mustache. When I get it in, it's, it's hard to deny. It just has a little bit of power. And so, um, it does, I, 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 it's, I'm proud of it. Okay. I'm, I'm proud of it. Okay. Uh, so my, when I was on match, as anyone would be (laughs) when I was on match, I, uh, I'd went on a few dates and they were just horrible. Like I was just like, you know, what? I, I don't even care. I'm just gonna, and I lived in a small apartment in Denver and, um, I was, I had my own startup. I was, you know, living on a very skinny budget, if you will. And, um, and so, I was watching Tombstone every night on DVD player because that's all I had. I didn't have cable. I watched Tombstone or the Goonies. And Tombstone actually inspired the mustache, right? And um, and and the whiskey drinking a lot, you know, maybe more than I – but anyway. Um, so I had grown this really great mustache out, and I decided to get on Match and give it one more try. And so I was like, found my wife, right? And I went on and was like, this, this girl's kind of cute. She seems funny. Like, all right. She seems like she's deeper than most of the folks I've, you know, experienced on this site. Like, she could probably have a good conversation. I'm not shaving the mustache. I'm going out with her. And if she likes the mustache and we have a good time, then she's a keeper. Sure enough, we're married. Eight-year anniversary tomorrow, by the way. And um, she... I shave, like, regularly, right? So I go, I beard and no beard and then mustache. She wants me to have a mustache full-time. Like, she's like, don't care. You're full-time mustache. And I'm just, I think I'm approaching that age where I'm like, you know what? I'm almost there where I can just do full-time mustache. Every year I get closer and my time with it draws out. <laughs> anyway, little a little story about me. <laughs> I. I love it. You know, the best I've got is these, uh, these Ray shock wool, uh, white lines in my goatee over here where it's like, just, just the aging process hits me primarily in the face, uh, which is not, <laughs> not ideal, but it is what it is. Um, that is, that's a great story. I mean, I'm sure there, I'm just, I'm going to put my cell phone away cause I don't want it to ring from match.com in the middle of this podcast. Um, and, uh, so <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh, Philly, should we land the plane with number five? Let's do it. All right. Old truth. Customers must sit at the heart of your marketing strategy. New truth. Customers must sit at the heart of your customer journey. Hmm. So the pivot from it being a customer strategy to a customer journey. I'll be honest with you. This is my least favorite one of the five. Yeah. 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 The, the copywriter in me wants to rewrite the second piece. Customers must sit at the heart of their journey, right? I think it would be interesting if they said your journey versus their journey, then I like it. But as it sits right now, it's like, eh, I don't know. Semantics. It's just semantics. I, I agree though. I think that's a really important distinction. It's the exact thing I was going to say, which is that this treats the nonprofit like they are 
pulling the levers and pushing the buttons and saying like, and changing the lanes of the customer's, you know, drive. Uh, but actually I don't think you want to do that. What I think you want to do is provide a variety of ways to get to Camelot and let the customer pick the one that is the most appropriate for them. And so I think their journey is their process and your job as the curator of the relationship is to enable them to take their journey. And, and I think there's like this, this fundamental shift that this is trying to capture, but I don't think it's as effective. What I think would be far, far, far more effective would be to say it this way. You need a customer or constituent experience that is ever ready to bring people along on the journey or join them on their journey towards significance and impact. And that means that at 3 a.m., if I have a question, you need to have a chat bot ready to help, right? If I have, um, if I'm browsing your site, uh, you know, and I just can't find what I'm looking for, something needs to pop up and say like, you've been on like 30 pages and you're spending one second on each page. What are you trying to do? Like, what, how can I help you get there? Like, I know you want to get somewhere. Where do you want to go? Right. And so it, what happens is it starts to shift around. We, as the marketing department are going to launch these 11 campaigns. And uh, here are these really, like we whiteboarded out these campaigns with our agency and they're beautiful and look at the hero shots and all this is fine, but it's really not about when I want to campaign to you. It's about when you want to hear from me and I need to be ready to have that conversation in that moment, whenever it is. That's it. I, I think it's like you, if there's a microphone, you can drop, don't drop that one because it'll ring pretty loud, but you know, I, I, that is it. And it really is to kind of go back at what you said. Marketing the 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 days of marketing campaigns, you know, where you can sit down like, all right, it's time to plan out our year. Let's do this, and you and you build up all this, and you have a big thing, and then you have all these sprints, and you look at your media plans, and you're like, all right, we're done for the year. This is our plan. It's it's different. It's a moment by moment need and want kind of architecture for the constituent engagement. Right. That's that's what you have to say. Like, what are the things that matter? Do we have a way to address those things that matter? If we don't, what's another way to kind of provide connection, information, um, something that gets the constituent to a place where they go, you know what? I feel good about this. I feel, I feel pretty good. I didn't get what I wanted, but I feel good about this. That's Campaigns don't do that. A moment-by-moment architecture built around your constituents and their curiosity, their needs and wants is what I think is what... Uh, HB, you know, the Harvard Business Review is trying to say right there and what you said really, really well, John. So, so mic drop. I think there is a opportunity to improve the specificity of, of number five quite a bit there, but uh, not to be critical. I'm sure uh, Harvard will catch up to our high level of thinking <laughs> any day here. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it's great to have a content like this being published out there for us to discuss and debate. Uh, so appreciate that from uh, uh, Harvard Business Review. And uh, we'll put a link to the article as well in the uh, in the notes of the the podcast here. Um, but Billy, I mean, five down, five to go. Feeling good about six through ten. My favorite ones in six through ten. Little little teaser for the next episode. So should be good. Now I'm going to have to guess what that is. I'm I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to say it here, but I'm going to guess, and then we'll see what that looks like next time. And. I, I'm thinking of a number between six and 10, between six and 10. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
This is a fun one. I, I, I love these these lists. I, I like it's a healthy debate, right? Um, and if you're listening to this and you, um, I mean, it, it, give us some feedback. If you hear something and you go, wait, I think there's a good point there. That was a completely awful. Let us know um, because, I, you know, we're not here just to take an article and break it down or like debate. We love to hear your comments too. So uh, hopefully you'll feel encouraged uh, listeners one through 12 or one through 13, however many we, we have tonight. So. I like this new Conan O'Brien uh, component <laughs> where it's like Conan, the funniest thing about Conan O'Brien was him always trashing his own show. He's like, I can't believe they let us on television. Like it was the best part. Uh, I'm in. So this is great. Yeah. Uh, Billy, thank you for, for your thoughts and wisdom as always appreciate it to all our listeners out there. We do appreciate you do subscribe, give us a five-star review, leave a, leave a review as well. Uh, unless you hate it, in which case that's what uh, our website is for or our Twitter account just, wreck us personally there that's great um but uh do leave us five star review subscribe and tell your friends about it we'd sure appreciate it do appreciate you listening thanks for listening to the mission critical podcast thank you for listening to yet another episode of the mission critical podcast remember this podcast is here to help you if there's something you'd like us to cover reach out connect with us online at listen to tmcp.com or follow us at listen to tmcp on your favorite social media channels